I had the privilege this week of being on a mission trip with 17 of our youth. We were serving the homeless and um, others less fortunate than ourselves, uh, staying at the cathedral of the Episcopal Diocese of Texas in Houston. So it was a real long journey for us. but what we did was go to various organizations throughout the Houston area, a different place each day, sometimes two different places each day, to um, serve in various ways. At the, at the way station at Palmer Church, we helped cook and serve breakfast to somewhere around 300, 350 homeless men and women um, in Houston at uh, Medical Bridges. We helped to package various medical supplies that are no, are no longer legally able to be used in America, but have absolutely nothing wrong with them. So they are then packaged up and sent to other countries where they can legally be used. So with these and various other organizations, we helped to serve those less fortunate than ourselves. And it was a wonderful trip. Every day, one or more of the youth said, this was my favorite place to work. I want to come back here and serve in this way and serve in this place again. So our lives were touched in many different ways by the work we did. And I was very proud of our youth and glad to be a part of this trip that we took. That's not to say that the trip was out was without any conflict. It most certainly was. Um, if you put any group of 17 teenagers together, living together in one space for a week, um, you're bound to come up with some conflicts, and we certainly did. What was wonderful about that, though, was the way that we ended up each time seeking reconciliation with one another. Uh, sometimes it took a little bit of coaxing <laughs> for some of our youth to uh, seek forgiveness and to uh, apologize for what had been done. But time after time, when the relationships were broken, when someone had hurt someone else, we would sit down together, we would talk through what had happened, admit our faults, and forgive one another, and have those relationships restored. So it was a wonderful week and a wonderful chance not only to serve, but to uh, learn a little bit about how we are to live together as followers of Christ, seeking reconciliation when we harm one another. Because we all make decisions in our lives which end up harming other people. It's part of being human. There's no question that we're going to make bad choices in our lives. Even in our baptisms, we proclaim the fact that we expect to make bad decisions. We say, whenever you fall into into sin, will you repent and return to the Lord? We say, I will with God's help. We don't say, if you happen to fall into sin, as if we might not. No, we know that we will. Whenever you fall into sin... Repent and return to the Lord. We, we acknowledge the fact that we are going to make bad choices and bad decisions in our lives which will hurt other people. Now, it's careful to say choices and not make mistakes in our lives which harm others because of an article that I read which Pastor Janie uh, gave to me in thinking about this sermon and thinking about David's bad choices in uh, his affair with Bathsheba that we heard about in the reading from 2 Samuel. 
the uh, article, uh, the, the writer of this article, Leonard Pitts, uh, gives a commentary on Governor Mark Sanford's affair, the governor of South Carolina, who had an affair with a woman and then uh, you know, denied it and then got caught and kind of admitted it, but sort of still tried to make it seem like it really wasn't his fault. Um, and what the, the author states is he's not, his diatribe is not over the fact that he had an affair, nor even of the fact that he initially lied about it. His diatribe in this article is over the fact that when he finally sort of almost owned up to the affair, he said, I made a mistake. There is, to these words, the author says, a connotation of honest error unwitting miscalculation, accidental omission, and oops, my bad. These words allow the offender to appear to accept responsibility for his offense while at the same time minimizing it. He just misjudged. It just happened. He was just careless, inattentive, or forgetful. He couldn't help it. What he's saying is if I put my hand into fire because I've never seen fire before and I get burned, that is a mistake. If you see me get burned and then you put your hand into the same fire, that's not a mistake. That's an idiotic calculation that somehow the rules do not apply to you. He writes in the end when he, he says, when everything falls apart, the man then stands there and insults the intelligence of every human being with an earshot by saying, I made a mistake. Beg your pardon, but what you made was a decision. There's an important distinction here between a true admission of guilt and a denial of culpability. And we've seen this, uh, I'm sure we've all got examples in our own lives when we have sort of claimed, sort of owned up to what we had done, but kind of not really. I'm sorry that you took that the wrong way. Meaning, I didn't do anything wrong, and I'm sorry you're so stupid um, to have have misunderstood. Uh, Eve said, the serpent made me do it. Adam said, Eve made me do it. We've been passing the buck since the beginning. Or maybe we'll say, the devil made me do it. Yes, but you you, you, you started it. You did this to me first. This is a problem that we find, and I'm I'm assuming that we've all had problems like this in our lives, and it's the problem we find with David in the story from Samuel today. He made a really, really poor decision in knowingly committing adultery, but then he completely denied culpability, trying to cover up what he had done. He brings in Uriah and calls him back, uh, Bathsheba's husband, calls him back not, not to apologize, but to try to get him to cover up his sin. What does he tell Uriah to do? Go home, be with your wife, enjoy yourself. David was kind of in a, in a time crunch here. It's about a month along, you figure, she knew she was pregnant, so about a month along. He didn't have much time to be able to get Uriah in there to be with his wife and hopefully then assume that he was the father of the child. But his, his ploy didn't work. Uriah was much too honorable for this. Not knowing what had happened, he simply said, look, everyone else who's in the battle, they're out there. They don't get to come home and have the comforts of home. I'm not going to either. So David tries again. He gets him drunk and then sends him back. Oh, be with your wife. He still wouldn't do it. Uriah was a wonderful, honorable man. But David's lies kept not working. His attempts to cover up kept not working. 
and just stacking lie upon lie, cover up upon cover up, he finally ends up where he's, he gets to either acknowledge his fault or, as David made again the bad choice, to commit murder. Or, to be fair to David, he actually only committed conspiracy to commit murder. Um, but we see this, this, there was the initial sin, which was a bad thing, no question. We all sin. We all make poor decisions. The greater problem then was not owning up to his sin, not admitting what we had done, and lying about what we had done. Let's say, for the sake of argument, that Uriah had done exactly what David wanted, gone home, been with his wife, and thought it was his kid, and everyone would never be the wiser. And his ploy would have worked. David's ploy would have worked. There would still have been a murder of sorts. Because they would have all been living not in reality, but in this false reality created by David. There was a, there's a song by one of my favorite bands, Metallica, um, I, I, not exactly, I wouldn't really call them a Christian band, but um, I guess I'm a, not so much of a closet metalhead. But um, and a lot of angry songs, but this one song they have, it only has four lines in it. And the words simply say, when a man lies, he murders some part of the world. These are the pale deaths which men miscall their lives. All this we cannot bear to witness any longer. Cannot the kingdom of salvation take me home? And I'm haunted by the truth of these words whenever I hear them or think about them. That when we lie, we murder reality. And we create this false reality, this false world that we then expect others to live in. When we lie, what we're really doing is turning ourselves into an idol to be followed as if I am a God is the one that that creates God creates the world God creates reality so when we're lying we're creating a false reality we're putting ourselves in God's place and lording ourselves over everyone else as God in one sense And so we're expecting others to live into this created reality, this false lie that we have made. So David, rather than owning up to his sin, owning up to the bad decisions that he had made, becomes God, or tries to make himself God, by lording it over and by by not admitting his fault, by lying about what had happened. So, how then are we taught to be as Christians? Well, we are taught, obviously we are taught to admit our faults, to tell what we have done wrong, which is not a very easy thing to do and can be a very dangerous thing to do. I mean, Uriah was a warrior. So David tells him, oh, by the way, I slept with your wife while you were out fighting for me. There's a lot of danger in that. Uriah just might have picked up his sword and tried to fight David. But that would have been a better choice than lying and then having Uriah killed. I can imagine that if David had owned up to what he had done and repented for what he had done, truly been sorry and truly sought to reconcile, to make amends, I'm not exactly sure how, but I I bet they could have worked things out. Because we have been taught to forgive. 
that we can work things out when we also sin against one another. We've been taught not only to admit our faults, but also to forgive. Forgiveness does not mean that there will be no consequence for our sins. Forgiveness does not mean that suddenly, okay, everything's fine. We still need to make amends. Forgiveness involves first admitting what we have done, apologizing for what we have done, truly being sorry, and then turning around, changing our lives, and trying to make amends for what we have done wrong. And that is a very, very painful process. It's a very difficult process. When the youth on our trip sought reconciliation, it was not an easy thing for them to do. Several of them were brought to tears merely by the thought of talking to the person who had offended them. It was a very painful thing for them to then sit down together and work out the problems that they had had. But when they did, they found themselves freed of the sin. They found themselves freed of what they had done. They found themselves freed of the anger that they had for having been hurt. Basically, they found restoration in their relationship, and that's a form of resurrection. The end of seeking reconciliation with one another, the end of owning up to our sin, is not a fight and and the, the pain that we go through in seeking reconciliation. The end is Easter. The end is resurrection. We don't just suddenly say one Sunday, oh by the way, it's Easter, yay, happy joy. We have the 40 days of Lent leading up to Easter. We have the time where we go through the painful process of owning up to our sin, of seeking reconciliation, of trying to turn our lives around, trying to make amends for what we've done. And it's not a happy, easy, it's a happy thing, it's not an easy thing. It can be a very painful thing. But the end is Easter, is resurrection. God gives us forgiveness freely in Easter. But there's work to be done in order to accept God's forgiveness on our part. There's work to be done always in our lives as we accept the gift freely given that we must then work hard in order to accept. I'd like to end with some words from Paul in his letter to Ephesians that speak of the ability of ourselves to forgive one another. Paul writes, Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for edifying, as fits the occasion, that it may impart grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We are, we are commanded to forgive. We are commanded to seek reconciliation, the first step of which is owning up to what we have done wrong. It is painful, but the end is forgiveness. And the end is freedom. Freedom from our guilt, freedom from our anger. That's the gift of resurrection and repentance that God has given. Amen.